You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to Trek FM's local watering hole. I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and with me, as she is every single week, the air-conditioned Christy Morris. <laughs> Not the effervescent this time. <laughs> <laughs> well, just a little insight uh, to the listeners uh, before we... You started recording. We we're talking about how you have to have the air conditioning on where you live because, well, it feels like a swamp even though you don't live in one. Right. And the big difference for where I live is that it's like 70 something degrees and the windows are open. And so, yes, completely different. <laughs> <laughs> but excited to be back um this week we are far from home with our good pal spider-man and we're going to be talking about that but before we get there of course you know you can find us wherever you get your podcast the 602 club is everywhere podcasts can be had uh and if you're over on apple Podcasts or itunes hit us up with a star rating and review let people know what you think of the show because Honestly, that's how most people find podcasts. They hear it from word of mouth or they read the reviews and they're, as they're searching for podcasts and as they search, your reviews help people find the show. So let us know what you think of the show. And then we read your review out on the show like we did last week. We just had gotten mm-hmm. a new review. So appreciate everybody who does that. And like I said, you can get us wherever you get your podcasts, you, you know, Spotify or tune in or any of these places any podcatcher honestly you can find us just type the 602 club make sure you're subscribed so you get the show as soon as we drop it you can find us all over the web we're on twitter at trek fm we're on facebook at facebook.com slash trek fm there's the website at trek.fm we have our listeners only discussion group which is housed on facebook it's called the babel conference if you type babel into the search field there on facebook you can find it or if you're on the website, like I mentioned at track.fm, any of the show pages, there's a button that says discussion, and that would also let you in to the group where you can talk to all the different listeners from all over the world about the different shows that are happening here on Track.fm. And then last but not least, of course, uh, you can always send us an email. So if you go to track.fm slash contact, choose a show, choose the 602 Club, that comes to Christy and I, and we can talk to you that way. Um, you never know. You're comments could be heard on the show or maybe your ideas of something you would like to hear us talk about maybe that could turn into an entire show you never know so mm-hmm. christy um spider-man ho- far from home um this isn't on the outline but i was just thinking i was just kind of wondering after Endgame, how were you going into this movie like were you really excited about this one or were you still kind of like in the aftermath of you know watching endgame i was still coping you know i feel like it sounds silly at first to think about having grief over loss of a character you know this fictional character tony stark but 
I would be surprised if a lot of people didn't feel some kind of loss with Tony being gone. Because, I mean, gosh, he's been around since Marvel first started this whole thing of over 20 movies in a series. So to have him gone and also just such a big presence, he and Spider-Man even had together, um, you know, that that father-son kind of relationship. It was really hard. So I I really wasn't sure how I was going to feel about starting this movie because I was still kind of depressed, honestly, about Endgame. What about you? Yeah. You, I, gosh. Um, you know, Endgame, I feel like for me, it, it really did what it was supposed to do, which is kind of bring that whole part of the MCU to a close. You know, I think it, it really feels like it shuts the door on a whole chapter of the MCU and this, it was interesting because I kind of wondered how this would feel. And, and in a lot of ways, I almost feel like this is the, um, maybe this is the linchpin for the rest of what's to come, you know, like, or this is kind of our, um, I don't know, in-betweener or something. Like, I don't know how to explain it, but you know what I'm saying? Like does an that intermission. Make sense? Like, like maybe it, it's it's almost like this is the intermission between two massive parts of the MCU, you know, because yeah, um, this really is kind of a follow up. So yeah, going into it, I, I didn't know quite what to expect, and I don't know if I was feeling I'm not like feeling tired or anything because I think Endgame was a good movie for me, and so it kind of let me left me interested to see what they would do with the Spider Man character and. Um, I, as anybody who knows listening to the show, I wasn't a huge fan of the first Spider-Man movie uh, that they did, Homecoming. But the trailers for this one had really piqued my interest. You know, I I, I thought um, it seemed to be going in a direction that I, I liked. You know, something about the trailers just kind of caught me. So going into the theater, I was very much uh, actually looking forward to it. I was like, I, I think this is going to be good. So um, good. that's always a good thing. Yeah, I, I'm I'm glad that you felt that way. I I wasn't quite there like as far as like feeling excited for this just because like I said of coming off of that loss of Tony, but I still felt like like you're saying in a good way it was this intermission. It was sort of like a a break from the heaviness of Endgame to have a little bit of something with hope and a little more lighthearted um but still recognizing everything that happened before. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. You know, I, when you think about, you know, Infinity War and Endgame, you put those two, two together, you know, that is some heavy stuff. And so, right. you know, and obviously, I remember, you know, we had Captain Marvel, but, you know, we you can listen to our show about that one. You know, it, but I do feel like you're right. You know, this coming after Endgame, this does feel like a, a gear shift on purpose you know, to be much more lighthearted. And I think, I'll just say right up front, I think this movie, its focus is, it has connections, right? But this this feels like it's um, continuing this kind of Spider-Verse that they're creating, you know, with this Spider-Man. And so the story was was as much about his world and 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 his, continuing his story as it really is connecting to the rest of the MCU if not more so and i think 
you know, that's kind of needed too because we've had all this super interconnectivity, you know, mm-hmm. and now this one kind of feels like, oh, we're, you know, you could say, and I, I heard it said on another podcast that many of these movies, it just feels like you could just call them episodes, you know, and only right. some of the movies kind of, a series kind of stand out on their own. Like, you know, you had Iron Man 1, 2, and 3, you know, you had all all three Captain America movies, you know, um, but some of the others don't really necessarily feel as much as standalones. And I, I feel like they in in Spider-Man, they do feel like they're kind of trying to c- create just the, 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 the Spider-Man story. You know, we're, we're, we are really connecting to the Spider-Man story. And specifically, I think with this movie, um, as much as it had connections, I do feel like we are just trying to focus on the Spider-Man story. Absolutely. I mean, I think that the core of this as well, this movie in particular, has to be that Peter is still Spider-Man, but he's also still technically just a kid. You know, he's in high school and he's having to deal with the end of the world multiple times and, um, you know, how to another high school student in our reality handle that. So I do feel like you have to go that way with this movie and, and show him growing up. Yeah. And and I think you're absolutely right. I feel like this movie is very just more than anything else. I feel like this is a character driven movie because it's about Peter and his character and who he's going to be. And like you said, he's 16 years old and much like, you know, I know your your husband, Michael, is a huge fan of Spider-Man. And so much like the Spider-Man comics he's dealing with that that struggle of the responsibilities he has as Spider-Man and his daily life, and he's having a hard time with juggling all of that and, and trying to figure it out. And like you said, too, you know, when you think about it, he just got back uh, from space and being blipped for five years. So it's like he he is kind of feeling this need to, like, put, being a hero on the shelf for a moment just to have a little bit of, of a normal life. And I, mm-hmm. I personally really enjoyed watching him. I felt like he had a real struggle in this movie. Like the first movie I didn't feel like was as much of a struggle, but I feel like they brought that struggle back in this movie. And I really appreciated that because that's a big part of the Peter Parker character, which is he enjoys being the hero. He enjoys having his powers, but he doesn't always enjoy how they impact his daily life and his relationships too. Right. Like how it would affect the people close to him. If a villain found out his identity, um, you know, and how it affects him trying to have a relationship or develop one with MJ. And he's like, I can't even have five minutes to take a girl on a date because I've got to go and save people from another big bad. And it's just so unfair. And, I mean, I think that that scene with Mysterio where he's confiding in him about that is a really great scene for saying exactly what you just said, Matt, and that he's showing the struggle. And I think that the writers and director did a really good job in having that scene in particular, putting that out there. Well, and it's so interesting, too, because, you know, we we see him kind of having to live and having a hard time living in the shadow of of Iron Man and Tony. And the expectation he feels like he has to live up to. But at the same time, you, you again, the character uh, story there for him is that he is missing having 
that person to talk to. You know, like you said, right. like him talking to Mysterio, he's missing that ability to kind of talk through this with Tony. And I, I thought it was interesting because, you know, in this movie, we get the sense that the Avengers have almost like disbanded. And after Endgame, everybody's on vacation. Um, but it does seem very strange that, you know, nobody would be there for a, a character like Peter, where it's like, does nobody realize that, that you know, this young hero, these young heroes, right? They need mentorship. Like, they need somebody to take them under mm-hmm. their wing. They they Like, it seems very strange to me. Um, whereas juxtaposing that with... I think, you know, uh, regardless of what you think of um, Justice League, I feel like in that movie we at least see, you know, the character of like Wonder Woman kind of being motherly towards Flash and and, um, Cyborg, you know, Batman even trying to take people under his wing, even though he's not great at it. Uh, And, you know, like I'm so I'm just really surprised that there's just nobody there to help Peter and be able to talk through this. It's like everybody's just gone after Endgame. <laughs> but I think too that obviously that was intentional because they're saying it without saying it legitimate, you know, directly that everyone has bigger things going on, unfortunately, than being able to mentor Peter. And that he, you know, got to go and be part of the mission and be in space and all of that. And But that comes with the responsibility now of having to grow up faster than he would like. You know, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, they they obviously never say that in the story. But I mean, that's the theme that they're playing with is mm-hmm. the fact that Peter has all of this power and he has all of this responsibility. And... Everybody in many ways is kind of looking at him asking if he is going to be the next Iron Man. And I really I thought it was pretty effective that scene where he's, you know, at the fundraiser and he's answering questions um, Mm -hmm. and everybody just keeps pestering him with questions about, you know, basically, is he going to be the next Iron Man? You know, what's he going to do if aliens come to attack? And, And it's it's that thing where it's like. He's the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man who's now expected to be the friendly universe Spider-Man. And he's not necessarily ready to be your friendly universe Spider-Man. Uh, right. In and all like honesty. save everything. He's not a, you know, he doesn't feel like he's ready to be all of that yet. But, and I like that they have this back and forth of Peter as well as other characters in the movie saying, you're not ready. Or I think he's too young. He's not ready over and over again. But then you see at the end, because of all of the different ways that he proves himself that at least I think he is. And that maybe he didn't even realize the potential he had in himself. But, you know, defeating Mysterio the way that he did and, you know, thinking on his feet, he made the right decisions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think. What I see in that, too, is I I feel like I see a maturity in Peter to realize that there are definitely problems he can't handle, even with as smart as he is, you know, Mm -hmm. like, because I remember seeing the the previews for this movie and thinking, how is Spider-Man going to fight like a lava person and water and like, right, his power 
scripts don't fit that at all, you know? And, and so the fact that the way this movie goes, that that's not what it is, it becomes a problem that Peter can definitely solve because it's about technology, it's about science, you know? And I felt like that was another good thing that they did here. I didn't feel like uh, in the first movie they did as good a job of showing, you know, in the comics, Peter's a genius, um, and so in this movie, I feel like they showed him to be a genius and sometimes some funny ways where he starts like going off on his little like, tangent about like what it means if the, there's actually a multiverse and like oh, just yeah. totally <laughs> geeking out about that. Like, but that's a way to show that he thinks on that level. And that was really fun. Um, I, I mean, again, Dealing with that part of of Peter's character and bringing out those character qualities, I think I really appreciated this movie for because we're dealing with. It's not just about like, and this is the thing I feel like this about this movie. I don't feel like it's just a movie trying to get a plot out about something that's happening in the MCU so we can further the M- the main MCU plot. Like, this movie feels like it's a character-driven movie about the character Peter moving him from one place to the next. Right. I, I mean, I'm right on board with you because I, I feel like even I was kind of thinking, duh, like the name of the movie itself saying Far From Home could have a deeper meaning. Meaning that, you know, he's been out in space He's done all of these incredible things, but he didn't do it alone. And it's, you know, learning that you do sometimes have to lean on other people and do sometimes have to take a break, but you have to realize when it's okay to do that. Um, and and it's, you know, this maturity and growing up process. Um, I don't know. Maybe that didn't make sense. No, no, it makes complete sense because I think you're absolutely right. The idea of far from home, not not doesn't just have to do with like Peter be on vacation, mm-hmm. but that, that, that metaphorical sense of home, like he's just out of his skin, uncomfortable with what he's being asked to do. Like lost. Is, yeah. 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 He's, he, to him, he is the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. He's being asked to take on a lot more responsibility than he's necessarily comfortable with at this moment. And the whole movie is kind of about him finding a new kind of normal for himself. Um, And that new normal is being one that's an Avenger, basically. Like truly being an Avenger that gets called on for Mm -hmm. help from somebody like, you know, um, Nick Fury. And so, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, one of the things that you mentioned and I thought was interesting um, is we were kind of talking about some of the things we want to talk about with the movie um, is kind of like, will Peter be Tony's successor? Right. And I thought that was a really interesting question for, for the N- MCU. You know, can Peter in some ways take over some of the bits and pieces of what Tony gave to the Avengers um, and, and be part of that. And I really, I I really was happy with the answer that happy gave him. I I thought that it was a really like, it was nice to see happy be the person who could kind of mentor Peter a little bit Mm -hmm. and be there for him. um, But also make him feel better about not having to be, 
the next Tony Stark, but to be himself instead, which I thought was great. Yeah, like that scene on the plane was so meaningful to me dealing with that because it's like Happy is just providing the equipment and saying go and letting Peter fiddle with it to create himself a new suit. But you see that the way that he's working with the computer, it's, you know, that computer screen that's projected into the air like Tony uses. And he's like grabbing things and moving them and zooming in and out and making like, you know, mannerisms and calculations like Tony always did when he was working on something with Jarvis. And you see Happy look at him and smile like a father looking at his son. It's so sweet. Because you're seeing the same thing Happy's seeing, that we as an audience are feeling like, oh, wow, maybe this kid is a lot more like Tony than we think. And that it's not like learned behavior, it's personality that he was born with. That he is like the genius that you were saying, you know, from the comics, and that he may not be exactly the same as Iron Man, but he could certainly take on a leadership role now. Yeah. Absolutely. And in many ways, the fact that I, I kind of feel like Happy does a good job of saying, you're not going to be Iron Man, but you wouldn't necessarily want to be him. You don't want to be Tony. Mm-hmm. You know, how uh, when he says, you know, Tony second guessed himself all the time. And or you said the man was a mess. Yeah. And then, <laughs> you know, so and, and we see that throughout the movies, you know, Tony is just kind of all over the place. Uh, and I don't think that, you know, Happy would want him to feel like he needs to be Iron Man because there's a lot about Tony that Peter doesn't know. Right. And, and But in some ways, like you said, there are some similarities where, you know, you put Peter in front of a science uh, project and, and a technology project and he can do that, you know, the same way Tony could do. And in many mm-hmm. ways you have that moment where he's, you know, creating his suit, and it kind of reminds you of of Iron Man Two, where you know Tony has to, you know, create a new element. You know, and there's that 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 moment of like, aha, you know, happening. Mm-hmm. And and Peter, yeah, he becomes a little bit more himself when he has that ability to create. You know, and that's kind of a Tony thing too. And so, in some ways, there are going to be some similarities to them. But Peter is now, I feel like he feels free from having to be the next Iron Man, that he can actually just be himself, which is more than enough. Um, And he doesn't have to worry about trying to fill somebody else's shoes the same way they filled them. He just needs to fill his own shoes and do it the way he did it. And because I thought it was really interesting, you know, there's that beauty of Happy saying that, you know, the one thing that he was really sure of is that he picked you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you will... He was confident that you could do this. He was confident that you could handle things um, even when he was gone. And, you know, there, there's a real beauty in that of knowing that you've been chosen and that you've been um, completely trusted and cared about like that. That that does a lot for anybody to know that, that, that they're um, believed in that strongly um so again right. i think what it does is it just frees peter to be peter yeah so that if people ask him you know are you going to be the next iron man he can say no i'm going to be the first me and yeah. just be something different yeah yeah no i 
Uh, are you going to be the next Iron Man? Nope. But I am going to be the only Spider-Man. So, yeah. I guess unless until he hits the Spider-Verse. And that's <laughs> right. Um, I wanted to ask you, though, you know, so the the plot with, um, you know, Quentin as the villain and, um, you know, the gathering all the people who had worked for Tony, that Tony had kind of slighted. Um, I I do kind of love that in many ways um, Tony is, is being portrayed basically as this Steve Jobs type, you know, like mm-hmm. who is the only one who people remember created Apple, even though he's not the only one who created Apple you know, but he's the one who gets all the credit and, and all the people in the background are kind of like left by the wayside. And so he gathers up all of those people that Tony has kind of slighted throughout his career and tries to basically become the next Iron Man through deception. I, I just kind of wonder for you, like uh, that that plot um, and, and, and the villain and everything, how, how did that work for you? Because I have seen some criticism out there of people saying they felt like the plot for the movie and the villain feel kind of thin. I really didn't feel that way with that. I, I felt like that was a perfect way to go if you're going to have a new villain, because I think in any corporate environment, there's always one person that's going to be jealous of somebody else or feel slighted or whatever. And it's, Tony certainly offended a lot of people. <laughs> So it it made sense to me. And, you know, then they kind of plug it in for you to make it like these people were there all along in the background. You just didn't notice. I thought was great. Um, And I I don't necessarily love Jake Gyllenhaal, honestly. But I think that as far as the backstory, I didn't have a problem with that. I thought they did a good way of connecting the dots for me. Yeah, that's really I, I, I think... I think you're right on with almost every single point. Like I, mm-hmm. I really am right there with you. I, to me, I liked that this movie was more a superhero movie about the character of the superhero than the plot that was going on. And maybe that right. sounds weird. No, like <laughs> it's not about the fight. It's about the internal struggle. Right, right. And that the fight and everything that's going on just kind of... Ag- exemplifies the internal struggle which by it being Mysterio and by um, you know it being kind of all about illusion and delusion and um, knowing what's real and what's not real and who you are and all that kind of stuff um, and 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 having a sense of like where you are in the world and all that kind of thing you know all of that plays into the themes that they're trying to play out with the character Peter yeah and so I I didn't mind that this was a movie that it wasn't as much about all of the cool action scenes as it was more about what the character himself is going through. And I responded to that really well, personally. I, I think mainly because this movie didn't feel quite so much just like the Marvel formula. Like, mm-hmm. it felt like... Uh, it, for some reason to me it felt fresher and a little bit newer because um very few of the marvel films i feel like do a really good job of kind of focusing on their main character and honestly the movies that did that the best and in some ways i think were um the captain america movies 
and then the Iron Man movies, because those movies are really about those characters. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think of Iron Man one and Iron Man three being kind of the good examples of that, as well as uh, Winter Soldier and all of those movies. It's it's very much about the like what's going on with this character and who they're going to be and everything. And I feel like they're playing that out with Peter. And so the fact that the plot with the villain in some ways kind of takes a little bit of a backseat to that and is always is really meant to just kind of exemplify what's going on with the character. That was really important. Um, I'm not a huge Jake Gyllenhaal fan, but I did think that once he made the turn to being the bad guy, mm-hmm. he was better in the movie than he was just because he doesn't have a lot to do because he's very he is kind of just playing the part of very generic superhero dude. Hey, I'm a hero, you know. <laughs> right. It, well, and I think that too, you're supposed to feel like I did in that moment before the turn where you're thinking, so is this it? Like, and they live happily ever after fighting crime together. <laughs> Two thumbs up, you know, and then finally he turns and you go, okay, I knew there was something up with this. I was just waiting for it, you know, the other shoe to drop. Um, I, I love it. I think, um, that's something that I've always really enjoyed um, in particular with the Marvel movies is the villains. And I, I didn't necessarily think that Mysterio was like my favorite character or anything, but I like seeing where they're going to go with a dark character and what motivates them and what they're going to try to do to accomplish their goal. And I I'm right there with you as far as the whole deception piece of this and the fact that everything he was fighting was just an illusion was awesome to me because I don't know about you, but like the first time I ever saw a two-way mirror, for example, and learned how it worked from the other side, it's like mind blown moment. And so when you see the virtual reality version of what he's working on, I felt the same way. Yeah. I mean, and I think him as, as the villain and, and having him, connect to it almost be like you know uh, this movie is the ghost of tony stark looms large in this movie and in many ways peter is having to pay for the sins of tony and those who worked for him and so i thought that that was kind of really interesting and and peter being a sun-like figure to Tony, you know, you have the whole idea of like the sins of the father um, being passed down to the son and having to deal with that. And that's what we get in this movie. So I liked that. And then again, you know, I, I think the thing that really stood out to me the most was I love the whole idea of illusion and delusion of Quentin Beck, you know, our villain here, um, who, you know, basically, you know, he lies, he says from, he's from a multiverse, you know, and, and he, he says something to Peter at the end about how people are, are wanting to and ready to believe anything. Um, they're so ready to believe something that they're they'll they'll believe anything, and it just really struck me how this character is kind of p- 
pinpointed something in, in our world as a really powerful theme of like, we seem to have kind of lost our, our foundation of what any kind of truth is. And people are just wanting to believe something that they're willing to grab on towards anything, whether it's political ideologies or, you know, believing crazy things like, like, why do people still, uh, the flat earth movement, um, you, <laughs> <Right>. know, <laughs> is one, uh, you know, all the way to just like fake news, which this movie completely plays with that idea. And, and by bringing in J Jonah Jameson back peddling fake news, he has no idea if it's legitimate or not, but he's peddling it as if this as if it's the truth. And like, I just I love that theme of like this idea of it doesn't really matter if it's true, but if we just keep saying it long enough, people will believe it's true. And yeah. like, that's what everybody's trying to do in this movie. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I think that the writers specifically are trying to make this point that people in our society right now are not investigating anymore into the information they're being given. And I mean, I admit I've even been guilty sometimes of sharing something thinking that it's true and then realizing I didn't investigate enough into the source and then ended up deleting it. But yeah, I I feel like people all the time are, are posting things on Facebook, for example, like, um, the shark that swam up to the front porch because of some flooding or, you know, the the hoax images and things like that, that people are just have gotten so gullible. They don't investigate and they, they just go with the crowd and whatever they're told and that we need to work on that. And that maybe what's gone lately is the search for the truth and not just repeating what you've been fed. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, Khan reminds me of the X-Files saying, you know, the truth is out there, you know. And, <laughs> and I just, again, I keep coming back to that. Mysterio saying, you know, people need to believe. And nowadays they will believe anything. And it's just, you know, it also made me think, too, that like you will believe anything if you don't have a foundation in what is true and what is real and what is not. And this movie plays with that so much because we see Peter even dealing with that inside the illusions and not being able to decipher what's real and what's not being fooled by the illusions of, of, you know, and like you can go really deep with that, you know, that you can get spiritual with that. I mean, there's such a great relevant theme to all of that. And, And that's the thing that just really struck me is I thought this movie really played with that so well. And I appreciate that the movie's willing to do that because I think that's a, a, you know, we just see that on all sides of pretty much every issue, um, you know, people kind of being willing to defend or believe in things that just don't hold up when you put weight on them, you know, um, mm-hmm. and um, blindly believe things too or trust people or, you know, and, and. Yeah, I just I loved it, you know, and 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 what was kind of great was you know, when Peter is able to defeat the illusions, it's when he closes his eyes, he forces out everything 
other than what he knows to be true, which is to trust the the, the heightened sentence, senses that he's been given, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he trusts what he does know to be true um, and stands on that foundation and that allows him then to be able to beat Mysterio. Um, obviously, so his Peter you know, Tingle is what won. Yes, that's right. Tingle <laughs> wins the day. So, but yeah, I, I you know, I think that's really... To me, that was something that really stood out, um, and and I thought it was really interesting what they were fighting over this because not only does Quentin want to be kind of the next Iron Man to have the world love him and and people listen to him, you know, he's tired of being the smartest guy in the room. He says without anybody listening to him, but mm-hmm. they're fighting over this thing again. That Tony Stark is literally still above them in the sky in Edith, you know. Even dead, uh, what was it? Uh, even dead, I'm the, the hero. hero. Yeah. And so that's what E the stands for. Um, which I just thought, you know, it's it's so interesting, like this whole idea, like you talk about the ultimate power of responsibility, like having a weapon system that could, you know, level parts of our planet um, that Tony is put in the sky, and he hands this to Peter, who doesn't quite know if he wants it yet. Um, man, that's, I mean, again, they're just kind of driving home those those plot points about Peter and responsibility, um, because that's a huge responsibility to shoulder for a 16-year-old kid. Right, who almost killed a classmate <laughs> over a photo. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it is. It's it's shocking to Peter himself, even, you know, when he, he just pulls them out and realizes suddenly that they're not just Tony's sunglasses. Um, it, I think that he's trying to figure out why Tony would trust him with something that huge and then thinks, well, it must be meant for me to give to someone else. So then he ends up giving them to Quentin, thinking... Tony would want you to have these because of all of the conversations and experience he'd previously had with Quentin. But really you're thinking the audience at that moment, you actually haven't known Quentin that long. (laughs) I think that was a little too soon. And maybe that is that immaturity speaking in Peter, but he finds out of course that they were meant for him. They weren't meant for anyone else, not Quentin, not especially. But I, I like that point that you're saying, Matt, too. That I didn't think about that even through all of that that Quentin's trying to accomplish, Tony is the one that designed all of the tech that Quentin is using to make his illusion possible. So Pretty much, yeah, for the most part. So Tony is still the hero. Thanks, Tony. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and you said something that's really interesting, too, because this whole idea of... Um, Peter thinking, you know, should it be me who who has these glasses or should I hand them off to something else? You know, there is that moment where honestly, like you said, Peter hasn't known him that long and he takes the easy way out. He gives up the responsibility when the responsibility is his to shoulder, you know, mm-hmm. and and we we I think in this world we try to say that responsibility is not a good thing like that responsibility is bad in some way and yet 
being a responsible adult and human being is so important, actually. You know, like living up to those responsibilities, like that's what makes us, I think that's what truly makes us good men and women when we live up to the responsibilities we have, regardless of the cost. And Mm -hmm. that's something that Peter learns here big time. You know, um, when he realizes he made the mistake, you know, he, (laughs) I just love him. He's like, oh, you know, he realizes (laughs) that he's messed up royally and he's put the most advanced weapon system on the planet into the hands of somebody who does not mean anyone any good. And... I just I just really like that. I think um again to me this Spider-Man movie over what we got in Homecoming does such a good job of playing with the themes of Spider-Man without necessarily having to go to the well of Uncle Ben. But we're right. still getting to play with the themes of responsibility which are so important for the character of Peter here. And I just really I really really like that. And I think you know, Edith gives us that opportunity, this kind of MacGuffin almost, (laughs) um, gives us the opportunity to play with that, you know. And um, it also gives us the opportunity to kind of play with the idea of, like, again, kind of what the truth is. Because like you said, his classmate sees him in a moment where he thinks he knows what happened there, but he doesn't know what happened. He doesn't know the whole story. And how we, again, we just can't assume that we know because we saw one piece of information. And that, you know, I think, again, that's so key. Like, we are full of that in our world of people seeing one thing and running with it, thinking they know everything about that subject. And that's, that's the most dangerous thing ever. And that's like you were saying, you have to go and research. You have to go and, and do the work. Um, to put in to see if things are true or not. You can't just immediately pick up on the one piece of information and assume you know the rest. Mm-hmm. So, And I, I love, too, when you were saying, you know, that Peter goes and says, I made a mistake. Well, I like that he has the guts to go to the people that have more mm-hmm. experience than him and say, I made a horrible mistake, and that is absolutely my fault. And now I've got to figure out how to fix it. He doesn't try to skirt responsibility anymore or accountability for doing that. He walks right up to them and says, it was me. I gave them to him and I'm sorry. And I think that that takes a responsible, mature person to admit that and be accountable for your mistakes. So, yeah, I I thought that that was a really great point to have Peter do. Um, And to go, you know, work with Fury and then be telling, you know, be ghosting Fury on the phone or be telling him, well, I really want to get back to my class trip. Nobody talks back to Nick Fury, but Peter does. Well, I mean, is it Nick Fury? <laughs> right. <laughs> or his uh, <laughs> impersonator. Oh, my gosh. How did you... How did you feel about finding out that the Nick Fury in this movie the whole time is just one of the uh, scroll secret sleeper agents? That threw me for a loop because I really did not expect it at any point. I didn't get any vibe that, you know, the 
character was doing anything that Sam Jackson wouldn't do as Fury. So I, I the fact that they reveal that, I just went, wait, so then where is Fury? What's he been doing? Why is it not him? Yeah, you know what? I thought that they did a good job with that because it. I felt like the whole movie, to me, Fury and Hill kind of felt slightly off, you know, the whole time. Like, especially Hill. She did not seem hmm. like the Maria Hill that I've seen in the other movies, really. She wasn't quite as quippy or funny. Like, well, that's true, I guess. Everything just felt slightly off with them. And so then to find out that that was the case, that Fury's actually on vacation <laughs> uh, with the scrolls up in space and now possibly helping them run things in space. You know, it opens up a whole new set of doors to be able to play with then um, because in many ways, you know, it does kind of feel like the MCU is going to go more cosmic anyway. So, you know, uh, having Fury already in space makes sense. Um, And it was... It was a fun, goofy tie-in to Captain Marvel, um, and I, the Scrolls were some of my favorite characters in that movie anyway. Oh, amen. Yeah, you know, so I have Ben Mendelsohn back pretending to be Fury was very funny. <laughs> so, yeah, I felt like it was it was an interesting, fun thing. And, too, you know, with the Scroll thing, like, it, I think it opens up a lot of questions for, you know, comic book fans of MC, uh, of, of Marvel are they going to be doing secret wars, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was fun. Again, speaking of uh, tie-ins to the comics, I I meant to mention two things that I noticed that were direct tie-ins. First of all, um, Ned, Peter's friend, and um, I think it was Penny that he was dating? Betty. Ned and Betty Betty dating was directly from the comics. Oh, that's great. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, and then also Mysterio um, really had always been like a lower level villain that really wasn't seen a whole lot or really important to the stories and until now. So it was nice that they added him as the main villain in this movie. Yeah, no, no, I like that. Um, what did you think about the? I mean, again, this is right at the end of of the movie it's the the first end credit sequence where we get the reverse iron man where you know iron man the original ends with tony saying i'm iron man making mm-hmm. that choice whereas this one ends with j jonah jameson and peter beck and quentin beck telling the world that peter parker is spider-man and it's not his choice. So what did you think about that finally being revealed to the world who Peter is? I wasn't sure at first they were going to completely go that direction because Quentin saying it on camera kind of breaks up at first. And I, you know, took a breath and then they played the full thing anyway. And he even shows Peter's picture. I I felt like everyone in the theater along with me was gasping at the same time as Peter going, well, what does this mean now? I mean, literally everyone possible in the world could know who he is now. Does that mean he and May have to move? Does that mean that he needs Where to... Where would they move? <laughs> right? <laughs> They're going to space now. That's the only safe yeah, place. Leave the planet. Talk <laughs> about far from home. Right. 
you know, like, is he going to have to go into hiding or get a different costume? I don't know. So I think a lot of left a lot of open ended questions, but certainly scared the heck out of me. I was I was reading a little interview that Kevin Feige did, and he said, you know, that one of the reasons that they did it was because this means that when you go to the next Spider-Man movie, you can't just keep doing the same thing. You have to do something different. Yep. And, you know, so Peter being outed like this doesn't allow you to continue with all of the secret identity stuff. You know, you really get to explore new territory. So, you know, hey, I, I got to credit him. You know, it's it's a part of the comics for Peter's identity to be um, revealed in some way or another. Um, my wife did ask a great question. So he has Edith back, right? Couldn't he just hack into all of that and like destroy the footage and then create his own fake news story about how that was doctored to make Spider-Man look bad and all, you know, like it seems like with Edith, with the power of Edith, you could fix this problem relatively easily. I think the, I think that's definitely possible. I think the issue is though, of that same thing about illusions, will people investigate further after they've already heard? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know, like it, it's yeah. he's been outed. Now they're being told something different. Are they really going to believe the second story or are they just going to stick with what they heard the first time? But I do yeah. think she raises a great question. I didn't think yeah. about that. Yeah. I mean, it, and I, I I hadn't thought about it until she brought it up. And then I was continuing to think about it. And I was like, wow, you know, at least, I mean, from what we know, Edith can do because she has backdoors into all of the um, uh, the media uh, news outlets and whatnot. Now, I think, you know, the fact that they're playing with J. Jonah Jameson being a a blogger, you know, um, and kind of um, WikiLeaks, Alex Jones type, you know, I mean, we're really playing with some political stuff here. Um, Mm -hmm. And again, truly um, people using information as a weapon, you know, Um, and I was also kind of thinking of just the the release of all the information we see about different politicians, whether it's something you see come out about uh, the president or, you know, um, you, you see things come out about like the Clintons or, you know, it's like there's so much stuff and and it becomes hard to distinguish what's the truth and what's a lie and all of that. So Mm -hmm. they did a really good job with that. So yeah, I, 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 I'm glad that they did that because I'm, thankful that they're not going to try and just kind of remake the same movie next time they they really are pushing themselves to have to make a different movie um Mm -hmm. this movie is very much i would say majority of this movie when it's not dealing with just peter peter's character it's kind of a high school (laughs) rom-com right and (laughs) it feels like a john hughes movie in the mcu um how did how did you feel about that and how did that work for you it worked for me Because it's things that we all identify with. I think that we've all been there in these situations that Peter goes through where you like somebody in school and you're trying to figure out the plan to like, you know, make them your boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. And so it's funny watching him try to make all of these things happen and and Ned just laughing at him and going, or... (laughs) we could just play this game together and sit together because you're my friend and I really don't want you to leave me alone on an airplane on a class trip. 
because I think we all also have had that feeling before of I don't want to sit alone or at least I did. I'm a very social person. So I like that there's all these experiences of just being a 16 year old that they put in the movie because he is. I mean, even though he's got all these powers and has done all this stuff with the Avengers, he's still only a kid. Yeah. You know, um, a few things. One, I I had no problems with most of the the high school rom comness of it. Um, I thought it was cute. Um, it it is slightly cliched, so it's it's not like super original most of it. Um, but it was fun, and I I think something you mentioned way way back at the beginning of the show was the idea that we're just doing something that's different than all the heavy stuff that we've had, and mm-hmm. you know sometimes it's okay to just have fun at the movies and this movie had a lot of fun in that way um i do think that i could i could have personally done without having the teachers be such idiots in the movie yeah that really wasn't necessary i do feel like that's just a cliche that's so worn that i'm really tired of it i'm tired of teachers just being stupid in in movies um and unfortunately They'd already set that up in the first one, so they're just playing with that again in the second one. So it's not as though it's like something new for this movie, even in the series. And so I do think that um, some sometimes, you know, they go a little bit over the top with with some of the the high school teenage stuff. But for the most part, I had a, a good time with it. I I laughed at the some most of the stuff, and. I didn't, you know, the, the the things that really got to me the most were had to do with the teachers, not with the kids and whatnot. That all mm-hmm. that stuff was was, you know, kind of fun. So, so you were a fan um, of the Night Monkey, is what you're saying? Oh, I love the new Night Monkey. Um, <laughs> I love when he goes to Berlin and he drops in front of that lady. He's like, "Excuse me, can you?" Have... She goes, "Oh, Night Monkey, Night Monkey, <laughs> <laughs> right." Oh, it was great. Oh, or the great. guys in the Netherlands where the guard is wearing Peter's mask and he's on the phone. Yeah, night monkey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's funny, because obviously my wife and I love soccer. And so to see those guys on the Netherlands soccer kits were funny. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think? Uh, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to listen to it at all beyond the movie, but have you heard the score at all from the movie Obviously, you know, you heard it in the movie, but have you gotten a chance to listen to it at all? Because I really think that Michael Giacchino did a really good job of of crafting one of the best scores in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, possibly. Well, I think the choice of Whitney Houston at the beginning was perfect. <laughs> I uh, at first, Michael and I were my husband were really confused because you're just seeing the title sequence coming up and going why in the world are they playing i will always love you like and then you get it that it's you know supposed to be high school kids making a tribute video and it's ridiculous it's not good but they tried uh in memory of tony well and i thought i thought that was funny just because um kids are much better at making videos than that these days especially i mean he's supposed to go to a smart school so (laughs) you know i i got what they were going for but i also felt like it downplayed the fact that the, I mean, it, it was the wrong choice. It was a funny choice, but it was the wrong choice for the school he's supposed to go to. Anyway, yeah, but yeah, my point was I I have not listened to it separate from the movie. Yeah, uh, I'll just say the the I think the score is wonderful. 
Um, I think he does a fantastic job with it. It does a great job of kind of melding some really classic Hollywood, old Hollywood feels. Um, and I'm talking old Hollywood feels all the way back to like, you know, um, Earl Flynn type movies, um, all the way to with some modern flair. Uh, and he puts that all together. And I really have enjoyed the far from home soundtrack. And I, I think part of that is he actually really plays with the Spider-Man theme that he created in the first one here and really brings that alive yeah. and for the most part um both almost all of the heroes for marvel cinematic universe don't have their own theme really uh, spider-man does though and it's great and i think he does a really good job with it and so that's why i wanted to call it out and kind of praise it because for the most part marvel soundtracks are just okay and mainly that's because there's no discernible themes in them mm-hmm. um but giacchino really brought his best kind of like Williams-esque nature to bo- to bear on this score as well as kind of bringing in some more modern sounds to the score to put those together and I, it created something that I've really been enjoying listening to so um and I think it you know it did work well in the movie I- as well um plus gotta love when Peter gets it wrong uh, about you know how he loves Led Zeppelin oh um, gosh so, I know that's yeah. painful <laughs> But I do love the Spider-Man theme, and I I do think that in general, you know, the music that I noticed it it was beautiful, and I I like that Giacchino, you know, goes all the way back to the original Spider-Man theme that was from the cartoons, and has just made it grander with the way that he's you know made it now. Yeah. It, it's beautiful. Absolutely. Uh, so for you, how would you rate this one? Do you think? I think you know the really were just a couple of things here and there that hit me wrong about it, but not much. Um, so, I, I mean, it's not perfect, but I would say it's pretty great. So I, I would give this one um, a an 8 out of 10. Um, trying to think what to write with. Uh, rate with, I'm going to use 8 out of 10 fishbowl helmets. Because I did think that that was really cool. Um, And I think that the CG really looked great in this movie. I mean, for having to have so much of it as well. Having the elemental creatures look as real as they did until we found out they were an illusion. Um, I loved sort of the Loki-esque nature of Mysterio playing with Peter in their final battle. Where Peter thinks he's got him down and goes to you know finish him off and then he disappears and reappears i thought that that was amazing um yeah i mean i i really just loved a lot of it i think like you said the only thing that kind of bothered me was the teachers being more of a trope and a cliche than really valuable characters to the group um but i i liked the rom-com-esque parts of it i thought Ned and Betty were adorable and you know the the story between Peter and MJ was cute without going too far into the sappy romance and I think that ultimately you leave feeling like you know a lot more about Peter and his struggle and then you know you find out that his Aunt May is dating Happy yeah <laughs> or are they dating or right is it just summer, a summer fling, fling? <laughs> yeah um so apparently their relationship is hanging by a spider thread. Um, <laughs> so 
yeah, I you know, I enjoyed this movie. Um, and part of that too is that I did not enjoy the first one very much at all, and this one way exceeded those expectations. Um, I thought this was a fun movie. Uh, I think this is um, kind of something that Marvel fans probably kind of need at this moment. Um, and I, I think it does kind of create a nice intermission and until we hit that next big phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I have to say, you know, I've heard some people kind of complaining about the CGI in the movie. And I felt like one of the smartest things that they did was when they reveal that it's all illusion uh, and it's being created by VR tech, basically, um, and, and massive, um, you know, illusion generators, basically, like holographic technology from Star Trek type of thing. And so the fact that it doesn't look perfect made sense. Um, you know, it, it shouldn't look perfect. Um, it, it should look just good enough, but you can realize it doesn't look completely real. And that's that's great. It should look like that. So I really thought that they did a, good, a really good job with that. Um, and I, yeah, I just had fun with the movie. I Would I say it's the best movie ever, even one of the best Marvel movies ever? No, it's kind of right in the middle for me, but I had fun with it. And I'd say, you know, for me, this is, I, I'd say it's probably about six and a half out of ten um, empty spider web shooters. So, because I actually liked that they went with that too from the comics, where the moment where Peter runs out of his web shooters, um, and mm-hmm. then he has to solve the problem with without web, he has to solve it with the rest of his smarts, which I thought was really strong. So, yeah, I enjoyed that part immensely. So, you know, it's so much fun to get to talk about these movies, and I just want to say a huge thank you to our associate producers through Patreon, like Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Wyatt Millette, and Daniel Noah. They support the network each and every month to make sure that everything that's here on the 602 Club keeps coming to you, as well as the entire network. So um, this is a really big enterprise to put on every single week. Um, There are so many different shows that are coming to you. Um, There's bandwidth costs, there's web hosting costs, and everything else in between. And there's really no way we can do this. So I implore you, if you can help us out in any way, go over to patreon.com slash trekfm, become part of our team. We've got some great contribution levels you can give at, but in the end, every little bit helps. So again, go over, help us out every month at patreon.com slash trekfm. Now, Christy, man, uh, where can everybody find you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Bespin Bell and also on the Babel Conference talking about all the different shows that we discuss on the show here. Um, and in addition to being on the 602 Club, of course, usually every week with Matt, I do a show every other week with my friend Teresa Delgado called Sabers and Spells. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter as well at that name. Uh, and we talk about Star Wars, Harry Potter. We recently talked about Umbrella Academy, and we're going to move on to uh, Stranger Things in the future. So I hope you'll join us on for that. Um, I also do a show uh, with my friends at Fanta Tracks called Planet Leia, which, which is once, once a month, a group of six women from around the world talking about our perspectives on Star Wars. Uh, and then finally, once a month, I do a five minute segment on my friend's show, The Star Wars Report, called Fashion in Five about men's and women's Star Wars fashion. 
And you can find me here on the network doing another show called The Orb with Chris Jones as we talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I do two shows on the Nerd Party Network. One is called Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills as we talk about Star Wars each and every week. We just pick a topic from that universe and run with it. Uh, you can also find me doing Owl Posts with Drea Kaufman as we talk about each and every chapter of the Harry Potter series one chapter at a time. And then last but not least, I'm doing cinema stories. And that's where I talk about films through the lens of faith with my good friend Courtney. But thank you so much for joining us. And trust that Peter Tingle you hear. 